You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Good morning. Our scripture lesson today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 22, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. In the 15th year of the ruler of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Eteria and Trachonisus and Lysonisus was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, quote, a voice crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. End quote. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? John answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. But Herod the ruler had been criticized harshly because of John, because of Herodias. That was Herod's brother's wife. 
And because of all the evil that Herod had done, he added this to the list of his evil deeds. He locked up John in prison. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son, whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pastor Sarah. I don't know about you, but I often find myself questioning my maturity. Usually this comes after the fact of a particularly uncomfortable experience. And I find myself asking then, am I doing right? What is it I just did? What, what will she or he think of me? Am I acting like an adult? Am I acting my age? Of course, these are probably not the right questions because these questions set me up to feel ashamed. Now, one of the benefits of, of age is an experience that tells me at a visceral level that while I felt sometimes like that, that most of you have as well, maybe most likely all of you. So, I can understand these feelings as being part of our human experience. And when we talk about being mature adults, we usually wind up talking about different things. There's the physical maturity, there's mental maturity, an emotional maturity, and there's a spiritual maturity. And it's strange, isn't it, that in our society, the only real objective marker for our maturity is our age the age that we can legally drink and the age we can legally drive or vote or be married or be tried as an adult. And, and isn't it strange that, that these ages often differ? The, the problem seems to be the emotional maturity part and in asking the right questions. The physical and mental Maturity pretty well takes care of itself. I mean, whether we like it or not, we grow up, we have mental capabilities that we can use. And the spiritual is as much a matter of God's grace as our ability to recognize that grace in our lives. So I think the question comes down to how do we use our bodies and our minds and our spiritual possibilities? And I think that's the function of our emotional maturity of what questions we ask of ourselves and of others. And we see these very human elements playing out in the early chapters of Jesus's life. You know, too often we lose sight of the fact that Jesus the Christ was fully human, that he was a human being. We sometimes get so wrapped up in Jesus the Savior that, that we tend to just focus on that part of his existence, of God's son as the word, of a personal relationship with the Savior God. And we can lose sight of the fact that Jesus was completely human as well. 
Luke, in his first three chapters, is all about the human Jesus. We have the birth to a very human mother who carries him for nine months. We have a coming-of-age story. You might remember a little bit earlier in Luke, we've got that 12-year-old child who, who stays back in Jerusalem to the horror of his parents and who is asking questions and trying out answers to his elders. And we have Luke telling us that Jesus, over the next 20 years or so, after his parents get him and bring him back home, that in the next 20 years or so, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So, so clearly, we're given the picture of someone who's growing to physical and mental and spiritual maturity and who's asking the right questions, who's growing in emotional maturity. We, we have here in today's scripture, Jesus coming forward as a human being to be baptized, to be baptized with other human beings, a spiritual and emotional experience. And what human beings these were, sinners and tax collectors and soldiers, the very ones, these tax collectors and soldiers who were the willing tools of an invading power. Now, this baptism of Jesus has troubled learned heads for many years. Why is the one born without sin and not sinning accepting the baptism of repentance? I think the answer to that question can be found in two things that, that, that come together in our scripture today. God's preaching and God's blessing. Now, Remember what John is preaching. His is a lesson for people to grow up emotionally and spiritually. He begins by telling them they can't rest on their heritage. Produce for fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abram's children from these stones. So just because you were born into a spiritual tradition, you can't rest there. You can't leave it there. It doesn't work. And then comes John's very practical directives. To all of them, he says, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. And he says, he tells them that, in response to their question. To the tax collectors, the ones who make a living abusing their powers, he tells them, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. And to the soldiers, to the goon squads, if you will, for these tax collectors, the police of the time, he tells them, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. John is here preaching the gospel of compassion and justice. He's preaching truth to power. He's preaching compassion and justice, and that is his baptism. The people should repent to change their ways, to act in a new kingdom way, to act with compassion, to act with justice. And his water, his water was that outward sign of their newly made inward commitment. And this was the baptism of the spirit that Jesus was going to preach and put into action. By the way, I need an aside here. 
those of you who are following along in, in McLaren's book that, that we're using for this year, in his chapter that we're talking about, chapter 19, he uses, McLaren uses the term baptism in the context of the Jewish ritual, uh, ritual purification. And that's very confusing and it's not correct. The Jewish people do not use baptism. They didn't then, they do not today. What, what they have is rites of purification, either because of um, things that they have uh, done or things that they're about to do in terms of a ritual purification. And it's bathing in a mikvah. That's the name of, of the baths that are, that are used, separate ones for men and women, the mikvah. It is not a baptism. Yes, water is used and there's a purification concept, but it is beyond that totally different. But here, John is doing something different, and he's called the baptizer, baptizing. And he baptizes the people that they can remember that they've come clean in repentance. And then look what happens when Jesus is baptized, when Jesus accepts, if you will, or, or gives really personal commitment and showing to John's gospel. Look what happens. The Father approves. Quote, and there was a voice from heaven, you are my son, whom I dearly love, and you I find happiness. What a fantastic thing for a father to say. That approval, that blessing comes totally unbidden. And more to the point, it comes before Jesus has begun his ministry. Je Jesus has yet to do anything. This approval of the father is unconditional, and it's unearned. Jesus has not earned it, just as we don't. McLaren just sums it up. So now Jesus has come of age and stepped onto the stage. A man with a dove-like spirit, a man with the gentleness of a lamb, a man of peace whose identity was rooted in his profound reality, God's beloved child. And that can be our lesson too. Our lesson is maturing Christians Jesus will continue to grow emotionally and spiritually in the desert temptations that he moves to immediately after his baptism. But for now, let's leave Jesus with the approving grace of his father and look to our own maturity. Do we have the emotional maturity to look to ourselves and repent? That is to change. Do, do we have the emotional maturity to ask God for guidance? As the people have asked John the Baptist, what should they do? Do we have the emotional maturity to patiently wait for God's answer and to be open to listening, even for answers we may not like? Do we have the emotional maturity to be driven into our own deserts by those answers, to be driven into our own spiritual challenges? These are heavy questions, but we're not alone in answering them, coming to an answer. For Jesus' Father is, is our Father. And our Father approves of us and is well pleased with us and is with us because, because we are. We are his creatures. Because we are, period. Now, one remaining thought I had on this maturity stuff 
Remember Jesus's lesson elsewhere, it's in Matthew chapter 18. Quote, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Mature, like a child. Now that's a challenge. And, and for me, the best way to reconcile these two different things is to recognize that a child sees the world in the present moment with amazement, with wonder, and with questions. Child, in that beautiful questioning, is awake to life and everything that life has. And in that, we can be children to begin anew as we are every day to begin as a child. We begin in the hands of the same Father as Jesus has claimed, the same Father who claims us. McLaren alludes to this when he closes his chapter. I'll let him have the last word here. McLaren writes, when we awaken within that deep relationship of mutual love and pleasure, we are ready to join in God's peace movement today, an adventure of protest, hope, and creative, nonviolent, world-transforming change. Amen. <laughs>